Glad to have you here on this Tuesday afternoon, and you know what that means. It's terrible Tuesday. A few things we could vent about today on this terrible Tuesday edition. As we get ready for the WNBA playoffs semifinals, game number two coming your way tomorrow. Today's is practice today, seeing the squad get ready, and more postseason awards today. Dished out by the WNBA, which means another postseason award for a member of the Las Vegas Aces. We'll get into that today. Cut down day in the National Football League. Raiders. We talked that today. Lincoln Kennedy is going to join us, who does a fantastic job on the color commentary on the Raiders radio network. And of course, Link, an 11-year NFL veteran, one of the best offensive linemen to ever play, especially on the college side. What a great career he had at University of Washington, consensus All-American back in the day. And longtime Raider, Lincoln Kennedy, joins us today. And we go a little hardwood, a little summer hardwood. Kevin Kruger joins the show today, the UNLV head coach. And all of our guests are getting ready, and they're getting primed for this Friday. The T.C. Martin Show Songfest returns. I can't believe. Well, I guess I shouldn't say I can't believe. I, I believe that so many people are fired up with this. And we made the announcement last week that we're going to do it. And we talked about it yesterday. My phone's been blowing up with people that want to partake. So I got a phone call while I'm driving in today from our good friend, one of our favorite college basketball guests, the one and only, Pete Gillen. Yes. Pete Gillen's back. I love Pete. <laughs> Who doesn't love Pete? And so so I texted out a few that are our regular guests. And the ones that I didn't text out, well, I started hearing from them as well, too. <laughs> well, well you, invited, you invited this guy on. What about me? Yeah, no problem. You know, I'll, I had to explain to people, we'll have a two-hour show. Now, I think when... You went through the list yesterday. You said we had 23, 23 songs. songs, right? I mean, look at our guests. I mean, I can't invite everybody unless I just make it all guests, which I'm fine with. So when we started this last year, you know, when Frank and I started uh, talking it about this, you and Frank it was and then guests. It, yeah, it was said, okay, we're going to let's do our songs. And then I said, well, let's invite our guests. And it was great because I think the audience loves hearing. From our regular guests in what their favorite songs are. Because we always venture off and talk about music and food and concerts and everything else that they like. So I'm really kind of leaning towards making this an all-guest rendition. You know, that's what I'm thinking that we should we should do here. But, so, I'm going to... I'll hold a, a couple of my songs. Uh, a few of mine. But... The participation has, has been fantastic. So anyway, so I invited Pete Gillen, 
And Pete says, okay, I'll call you tomorrow. I go, no, no, Pete, it, it's not till Friday. He goes, oh, I know, but I just want to talk to you, you know, about it and everything. So I'm driving today, and Pete Gillen calls and uh, says, okay. He goes, I'm in. I can hardly wait. And he starts going on and telling me about, you know, how he is, he's got so many songs to choose from, and he's got so many stories that, that he could tell. And I'm going, that sounds good, Pete, but you're going to get two minutes. <laughs> Everybody gets about two minutes. But uh, it's a fun show. We're doing it again. We did it last year at this exact same time, the Friday before Labor Day. So I, I guess since we're doing it back-to-back years, it constitutes an annual, right? A tradition. It's the annual it's PC the annual. Martin Show fo- Song Fest. There it is, the second annual. So stay tuned on Friday, commercial-free, nothing but the jams, pretty much old school. And uh, some of the songs... That have already come in from some of our guests. I just gotta say, wow. That's all I gotta say is wow. I think for the first time, and I'm not gonna say who, might be able to figure it out, but it may be, and I told this person, this is gonna be probably, I go, it's the first and probably the only time that we will have country music played on this show. <laughs> I'm not sure how I feel about that because, you know, I'm not a big country music guy. Yeah. Nothing against those artists. They're great, but let's face it. It's, it's not my genre. Not my jam. You got an idea of... No, I don't. ...of who of one of our regular guests is who's going with country. What sport? Eh, I don't want to give it away. Just no, no. What sport? Football. Football? Okay. You think you got it beat now, don't you? Okay. You can... Yeah, I don't want to give it away, but you could hold up a sign or put it on our computer here, our call screener. There it is. Um, no, no, no. See, let me check out. See, this is the this is the beauty of it. It it, it, it shocks people. I kind of almost want to do this to where we just play the song yeah. and then have them to pl- kind of have a guess who it is. Mm, interesting. Interesting. Kind of like, you know, we would play... That's like totally backwards in our, you know, radio DJ world. I understand that. You know, but, you, don't, you don't really back-end songs. But think you front-end songs. But think about how fun that would be to be like, is it Cartwright's song? Was it... Nah, you know, I, I hear where you're going, and that is kind of cool, but I think for the flow of the show... Well, no, yeah. I, I, I don't, you know, it's, it's kind of cool to, to talk to them about it, and then you still don't know what the song is yeah. until they actually introduce it. Yeah. So you, you, you got the mystery factor. In there. And then, okay, now that song, whose song was that? Boom. It's interesting. Yeah. Interesting perspective here. I'll have to give that, give that some thought here. Have Sorry. To put that on. A little, little curveball in there yeah, for you. Yeah, no problem. No problem. Yeah. You, you like the curveballs, no doubt. All right. So, yeah, today, so Lincoln Kennedy and Kevin Kruger. Kevin, Kevin Kruger's already down. Uh, he's good. And Lincoln Kennedy, I haven't hit this with him yet, but... Uh, We'll definitely hit him. So remind me, because you know we can get all carried away with Big Link and our interviews and talking about football and food and everything else. I will remind you. All right, good. I, I got a great food story with Lincoln Kennedy too coming up on the show this hour. So there you have it. All right, Raiders cut day today. Uh, you know, do we have the official list out yet? Because I already. Here, let me let me check my official email to see if we got it yet. But uh, 
you know, four o'clock is the time. But things are already leaking out that the Raiders have released Alex Leatherwood. Alex Leatherwood, we talked about it yesterday, talked about it with Steve Berline, we talked about it with Trevor Maddich. Would he be here or not for opening day? Cannot say I'm surprised at all. Actually, not surprised at all. Actually, I'm going to say expected. Because, again, Dave Ziegler has got no commitment to anyone that was drafted before him. And he said he has no commitment to anyone that even that he drafted this past year. But that's the deal here. Mike Mayock made some questionable draft picks. And Alex Leatherwood was definitely a big-time question mark here. 17th overall last year. And you're going to say he's going to be your starting tackle. I mean, he was good at Alabama, but again, and we talked about this after they drafted him, Alabama's just stacked all over the place. And we've seen offensive linemen have great college careers and fail miserably in the NFL. Tony Mandrich comes to mind. The Packers really overreached on him. And it happens just about every year. But yeah, you can't pick an offensive lineman, an offensive tackle in the first round or an offensive guard in the first round. You can't do it high in the first round and miss. This guy has got to be locked in, top shelf. You want that guy to give your franchise 9 to 10 years. And when they made that call with Leatherwood, man, that was questionable. No question. All right, Josh McDaniels. Got a chance to listen to Josh McDaniels over the uh, after the last preseason game. And here's Josh McDaniels talking about the cutdowns and getting down to 53. And again, this was before today. Looking ahead, and of course, he's not going to tip his hand or anything. But uh, Josh McDaniels talking about the 4-0 preseason, talking about the Raiders' victory uh, last Friday. But here specifically talking about cut down day approaching. Uh, we have a lot of things to you know to discuss. I think in the next so many days, we've played a lot of people there. Um, you know, we played a lot of people across the board. Um, so I think this is the part part of the year where you know some of those decisions are going to start to settle in here. Um, you know, we have a few more days here to go over. We have a lot of tape uh, to digest here in the last week here that. I think was really important for us to gain that information. Um, but, uh, you know, a lot of guys have, have, you know, put some, put some things on tape that are uh, very competitive. And then there's certainly things we can do better as an offensive line as a whole. Um, but nothing's, you know, there will be no big announcements today on that. You know, there's a lot to sort through here. Josh McDaniels talking about the cutdowns and they sorted through that today. And again, we'll have the official, Cut down list when it's announced uh, coming up here again. It's it's four o'clock is the cut down um, deadline for that. But Alex Leatherwood uh, on his way out with the Raiders. Josh McDaniel talking a little bit more about the preseason games. Again, we talk about the Raiders going four and zero. That's great talking point for fans, but really means nothing within that locker room or nothing on that field at all because. Again, we've seen teams go undefeated in preseason and doesn't 
translate to victories during the course of the regular season at all. We've seen teams go 0-3, 0-4. Doesn't mean anything. It's what happens now. But you know, when you are uh, taking over a new team, and you do want to set the standard of that winning is important. And the Raiders have always wanted to win. They just haven't been successful at it during the past few coaching you know, regimes, really for the better part of the last 20 years. But as we know, Josh McDaniel, Dave Ziegler, coming over from New England under the Bill Belichick watch, they want to win. And when you look at the roster they're going to put together, it looks like one of the better rosters they've had in recent time. Now it does help that you've gone out and have attacked it free agency-wise, and getting Devontae Adams, getting Chandler Jones. You know, that's nice. You know, and not to throw Mike Mayock under the bus totally. He did make some good draft picks as well, too. I still think Josh Jacobs was a good draft pick. Again, another guy coming out of Alabama. But, obviously, this regime does not think too much of Josh Jacobs. They're not going to say that. But by saying that they're not going to extend him, and they're basically going to go running back by committee, that tells you, what they think of Josh Jacobs. But he is going to be the starter opening day. He got carries at the Hall of Fame game in Canton, Ohio. Week one has not seen the field since. And the Raiders have made it a point to look at other running backs during this time. They drafted Zamir White from Georgia. Fine running back out of you know out of Georgia. You got Amir Abdul who's bounced around the league. A lot of years with the Detroit Lions. You know, he's going to make this team. And then you had the release of Kenyon Drake, which maybe was surprising to a lot of people, but I think the injury had something to do with this, and it's too bad. And we've seen Alec Ingold get you know, released by the Raiders after he went down with that treacherous injury last year. Good for Alec Ingold that he got to latch on to another team, the Miami Dolphins. And now Kenyon Drake, we thought, okay, you know, because he was good with the Raiders last year. They release him. So it's going to be Jacobs, Zamir White, Amir Abdullah, and uh, they'll keep probably a total of five running backs, and they will keep a fullback. They'll keep one of those on the roster. All right, so we'll keep an eye on the cutdowns. But back to the preseason. Here's Josh McDaniels talking a little bit more about what he's liked, what he's seen from the team in the preseason, highlighted by the energy of his team. Yeah, I thought the energy was really good. Um, you know, and playing in our stadium, it's easy to see why they'd be excited to do that, you know, and – you know, we have a great atmosphere there. Uh, fans do a great job of uh, producing that for us. And then um, I thought the, the entire team showed up ready to go, um, you know, and they've done that since we got here. I mean, honestly, since the first day of OTAs, um, they've they've uh, been, been uh, prepared and excited to go out there and work. Uh, they were excited to work this week against the Patriots in practice uh, and then certainly excited for their opportunity to play last night. But, um, you know, I think that's that's been – uh, kind of a hallmark of this group. Uh, got great leadership and guys that, that really want to come in there and do it right. All right. The energy definitely is there with this team. Uh, you've seen that spark. And you don't look at Josh McDaniels as being a big rah-rah type of guy. But, you know, again, the the crowd in Allegiant Stadium will generate a lot of that energy as well, too. All right. So we talk about Alex Leatherwood being released by the Raiders. Cleveland Farrell is another guy when he was drafted out of Clemson, which another which was another reach by Mike Mayock. Cleveland Farrell, we expect, will make this team, but you need the guy to produce much better than he has. Here's Josh McDaniels' thoughts on Cleveland Farrell. He's a physical guy, you know, and we obviously want to want to put a tough physical defense out there on the field and 
Uh, Cleveland's demonstrated the ability to do that in more than one spot. Um, you know, he, uh, he he set the edge a handful of times last night, which is a good thing to see. He uh, was involved in the pass rush some, um, you know, and dropped into coverage actually a couple of times. So, um, you know, there's a lot of things we ask those guys to do on the edge. Uh, Clee's uh, definitely uh, going to try to make up for a little bit of lost time here, but that's okay. Uh, that's that's what what you know what these practices going forward will be about. Um, you know, for him and. Uh, he's been involved in each meeting. He's he's paid attention. He understands what his roles are that we're asking him to play. And uh, like I said, it was good to get him back out there. And um, you know, you could see, you know, in the in the limited number of opportunities he had last night, you could see some of the things that uh, that we're that we're looking forward to with Cleveland. You know, Renfro, great draft pick out of Clemson. Farrell, not so much. Again, what is going to happen with him? And again, there is no allegiance from this front office that the Raiders have right now. And but is he one could he be one of your your better D linemen? Possibly. We'll see how it shakes out. All right, Josh McDaniels talking about Cleveland Farrell. Speaking of putting together the final roster, here is Josh McDaniels talking about what his approach is. There's a lot of factors that go into trying to do the right thing for the team. Um but at the end of the day, you know, you we if we keep to the to the goal of of putting together the best football team that we can that will help us win the most games uh, and make the decisions based off of those factors, um, then then that will be our guideline, you know. And so um, certainly there's an element of of that that goes into it. We all know that is there, um, you know, some some different than others depending on who you're talking about. But um, you know, at the end of the day, our job is to try to produce the best roster that we can that can help us win the most games and uh, we're going to try to we're going to try to do that at the same time it's it's always a work in progress you know the roster is not set you know on Tuesday or Wednesday for the for the next you know four months five months you know it could change obviously and and it will change as we go through the course of the year but uh, we're going to do the very best we can here in the next few days all right and again that was Josh McDaniels a couple days ago uh, talking about uh, putting together the final roster. Okay, we talk about Alex Leatherwood being released today by the Raiders. Uh, I wanted to play this cut you know, yesterday, but we didn't get a chance to play these Josh McDaniels cuts. So uh, things interesting to hear. Now going back, knowing that Leatherwood is gone, here's what McDaniels had to say about Alex Leatherwood in the preseason he thought he's had. Yeah, Alex played a lot of football. Um, you know, he was basically out there every day and – uh, you know, durable and, you know, and, and look, they're, like I said, you know, earlier on the call that, you know, our offensive line as a whole, there's, there's definitely some, some good things, some things we've made progress on. And there's definitely some areas where we can, we could probably do better and improve. And, um, you know, that's, that's what this time of the year is for. And so uh, Alex took a lot of reps and he's played a lot of football for us. I think he knows our system a lot more now than he did, um, you know, in April. And that that's true for every offensive player. Uh, on our team and uh, you know we'll, we'll, like I said we're going to use the next few days here to sort it out but uh, certainly he's in a mix in all those conversations uh, we feel like we do have some quality there so um, you know having tough decisions to make because you feel like you got a lot of guys competing for him uh, is a good problem to have so now that we know that Alex Slytherwood is gone and you go back and you hear that from Josh McDaniel here's what we take away from that he knew Sounded like he really knew that he was going to be releasing Alex Leatherwood. When he said, he's played a lot of football. That's the first thing he said. He's played a lot of football. He's taken a lot of reps. 
He knows the system. Okay. So again, non-committal kind of there, but read in between the lines. He'll say, we'll sort this out. He says he's in the mix. Now, if you know you're going to keep a guy, he's not in the mix. He's our, he's our guy. He's our starter. You have some glowing words for, you know, you're, you're starting offensive linemen. And then he says, we have quality in that position. Which tells you, well, if he doesn't make it, we're going to be perfectly fine. Because we got guys that could take his job. Interesting. And if we, like I said, would have played this yesterday, now knowing what we know, probably wouldn't even think twice about it. He'd think, well, okay, well, sounds like he's in competition. Don't know. We'll see what happens. But listen to that. And again, I'm not going to try to get into Josh McDaniel's mind and try to predict, you know, what he did or is going to do. N- never going to do that. But, and again, w- when you're a head coach, you're going to have to answer these questions. And no coach likes to cut players. No coach does. You don't get a joy in that because, you know, y- you are cutting off someone's livelihood. Even though you hope that some of these guys get picked up in another team, they can continue to you know, further their career, continue to collect a paycheck. For a lot of guys, this is it. Like we talked about so many times, the average length of an NFL career, average, is three and a half years. And most of these contracts are not guaranteed contracts. So, yeah, no coach enjoys, you know, cutting players. But it is probably a little bit easier when you come into a, a situation where you really don't have allegiance to some of these other guys. Now, yeah, is it going to be tougher for Josh McDaniel to cut somebody like Jared Stidham? Oh, yeah, because he has history there. And he was probably involved in, in drafting him out of Auburn when they were with the Patriots. But Stidham will be Derek Carr's backup. You don't have Marcus Mariota here anymore, so you don't have those type of decisions you know, to make. So the quarterback situation is pretty, pretty clear-cut in that situation. I think, you know, even though the running back room is pretty crowded, it, it, it says pretty clearly who you're keeping there. Wide receivers, same thing as well, too. Maybe you have some battles for a fourth or, or fifth spot uh, for that. But, again, not tremendously probably tough cuts. Where the tough ones are, what do you do with the offensive line, defensive line, and the defensive secondary? I think those are the tough ones. Right there, because those units really are not stacked. They're not really, really good. And uh, we've seen in years past, the Raiders kind of had to settle in those positions, especially the offensive line and the defensive backfield. So Josh McDaniels uh, talking about that. This is you know prior to today's cuts. Finally, we talk about the Raiders going undefeated, 4-0 in the preseason. We know every coach is going to say it really doesn't mean much, but again, when you're trying to build a winning culture, it does mean something. Well, we talk about um, you know competing, and you know our our whole our whole uh, focus since we got together and, and we're able to go out there on the grass and practice has been you know really about competition, whether it's at in an individual position um, or or across the ball against a different group, offense versus defense. Um, these guys have competed every single day and 
what we've basically uh, tried to do is, you know, get them to understand that competition makes us all better. And if we're trying to win a drill, if we're trying to win a period, uh, there's nothing wrong with that, you know, and the number one fundamental and uh, that we, that we need to try to uh, be really good at from, from the beginning of the season towards the end of the season uh, is the ability to win. And so um, it's never a bad thing when you come out with more points on the scoreboard than the other team, we'll never take the field uh, without being that, without not being our number one goal. And so, um, every game we play, whether it's a preseason game or regular season game, uh, we're only going to go there and show up to do the one to do the one thing that we're we're trying to do every week, and that's to win. And and uh, you know, proud of the team's effort and, and and competitiveness throughout the preseason. And now we're looking forward to the regular season. All right, Josh McDaniel, looking forward to the regular season. Talking about the preseason, talking about the cuts. And uh, again, you heard him talk about Cleveland Farrell, Alex Leatherwood, and we do know that the Raiders have released Alex Leatherwood and uh, the final cut down again, you know, coming up here in about an hour or so. So we will have all that information as it comes out to be official at this point in time. But the Raiders, they look ahead now, 4-0 preseason, very nicely done. Again, did not face uh, any real powerhouses, but again, Preseason is all about evaluating talent, and especially, like I said, when you're a new coach, new system, get to know your personnel. And I think you got to say, you know, from a one to ten, if we're going to grade this training camp, you got to say this training camp was up there. It's probably an eight or a nine. You know, when you look at, you know, what they got to accomplish. No, we didn't get a chance to see Derek Carr, Devonta Adams in real live game situations. Didn't get to see Darren Waller either. Got to see plenty of Darren Waller, the Michelob Ultra Arena, and uh, <laughs> that's not a shot. It's just that's that's cool that uh, he has spent so much time there, like so many other Raiders. And Josh McDaniel was at Game One on Sunday, so hopefully Josh will be back for for Game Two tomorrow as well too. We look forward to that, and of course we'll talk more about the WNBA semifinals, Game Number Two with the Aces and the Storm coming up. Uh, tomorrow night. All right. So when we come back, we'll talk a little bit more Raiders with the former Raider offensive lineman himself. He does a fantastic job on the radio side and has for quite some time. Yes, Lincoln Kennedy joins us next. This is boxing referee Kenny Bayless and what I say you must obey. So be sure to catch up with the broadcast at tcmartinshow.com. Oh, yes, Uh, the preseason is over. Cut down day today, and we look forward to the regular season opener, especially with the Raiders. Chargers coming your way September the 11th. And a guy who's going to be on that call and does a fantastic job, as we know, on the radio side with the Raiders radio network, the 11-year NFL veteran, eight of those coming with the silver and black as a player, three-time Pro Bowler, college All-American at the University of Washington, and uh, one of the best offensive tackles we've seen. Uh, and one of our favorites, Lincoln Kennedy, joins us now. Big Link, what's happening, man? Nothing much. I'm just finishing out filling out this check for the introduction. I really appreciate it. It'll be, uh, it'll be to you guys in a couple of days, okay? And, and enjoy lunch and dinner on me, all right? T.C. Martin, no periods there, okay? <laughs> <laughs> What's up, man? Well, it's called respect, man. That's what it I is. It. I appreciate it. That it is, man. Plain and simple. Lincoln Kennedy. Now, it's been a long time, man, since I got a chance to talk with you, and so I'm glad to have you on the show, and hopefully we can do this uh you know on a semi-regular basis during the course of the season link and so for you know a lot of our listeners 
You know, I, I love to, to kind of go back and hey, let's let's get to know Lincoln a little bit because I know that you were you were born back in Pennsylvania, but you grew up in San Diego, right? I want to know what kind of kid was Lincoln Kennedy growing up. Uh, uh, I don't know a, 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 a Nimrod, a numbskull, a dumbwit. <laughs> I mean, uh, I, you know, third grade, my my mom put a trumpet in my hand and said, "You got to do something after school." And I became a band geek, so uh, that, that carried me all the way up until the high school until I discovered sports. Is that right? So, yeah, yeah. so trumpet was your thing. So, I mean, now, now, okay, you fall on the lines of uh, you know those famous athletes like Wayman Tisdale. I mean, you know, rest his soul. What a great guitar player he was. Did Lincoln Kennedy have have some uh, have some uh, chops like that? I dreamed and had aspirations of playing in a big band like Chicago Earth, Wind and Fire. Oh. That's when I was playing it. But you know that that became really relatively short lived. I'm mad at myself for putting down my trumpet uh, when I started playing sports. Uh, I got uh, preoccupied and distracted by the sports and the, the girls that came with it. They weren't. They didn't look like a lot of the band geek girls that we got. <laughs> so it was a little bit different than the jocks got. So I got distracted. I put down my trumpet, and it's one of the things that I, I, I missed and probably go back to go back to or try again once I get rid of my own kids and have some more free time on my hands. There we go. A little EWF. There we go, man. This, this is what I'm talking about. I don't know. Yeah, if you want me to reach out to Verdeen White and say, hey, you know, give my man Lincoln a, a, a shot here. Let's, let's give him a couple songs next time you guys come to Vegas. We could probably well, raise know, I, I would love to have that, but it seems like today's, the way music is going today, it's either by autotune, synthesize, anything else. There's no longer a lot of big bands out there. I mean, uh-huh. let's, you talk about Silk Sonic's probably one of the ones that uh, contemporary that come to mind, but, you know, for the most part, everything else is uh, electronic. It is. It is so true true and that's why i still love the horns man that's why i love the yeah. old school and i love the classic funk because you know we had the horns back in the day and yeah. you're right it's 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 a lost art I, you know what i think you should have maybe you have you know do we need to to talk to the raiders or even the aces to get you out there and do the national anthem on the trumpet how about that no man? that, that won't no? be necessary that's good, no, I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. <laughs> he says no i'll just stick in the radio booth that's all good man yeah, exactly Hey, Don James is a guy that I always uh, thought was one of the best, you know, you know, coaches, and maybe yeah. didn't get as much love, uh, you know, in the, in the national media. You played at Washington. You played for him. Real quick, speak to him, and what did he mean to you? Uh, he was a man that stood for integrity, and he taught me integrity at a very young age. Um, one of the greatest lessons he taught me is that when I was coming out of high school, I wanted to be recruited as a defensive lineman because. My favorite player growing up was Ed Tutel Jones from the Cowboys. So I want to be like him. Um, and, you know, offensive linemen didn't get any glory, uh, didn't get any notoriety, uh, really, unless they committed so many penalties. So long story short, I wanted to be recruited by a deep, as a defensive lineman. And the colleges that I you know, finalized my sort of narrowed down my visits and really were serious about all said, all agreed that they would let me play defensive line. Um, and then when I got to Washington, we, the first year that I was there at Washington, we, my redshirt year, we went 6-5. and five. And so Coach James called a team meeting after the season was over. He didn't go to a bowl. That kind of broke the bowl streak that was there before me. Uh, didn't go to bowl and said, you know what, um, things are going to change. And he called me in his office shortly thereafter, and he said, um, we're going to change the defense around. Now, you can stay on the defensive side of the ball, but I'm going to tell you now, you're probably not going to play as much, or you can go to the offensive side of the ball. And by him giving me that choice, of course, you see the rest is history, but by him giving me that choice, I felt that he stood, and he was a man that stood by his word and wasn't just going to, you know, arbitrarily change me or put me on the other side because they had the control or the power to do so. So I respected that, you know, through all my days of, of knowing Coach James before he passed on. May he rest in heaven. Uh, but 
is one of those things where, you know, uh, somebody who stood by their word, gave you their word and stood by their word, really means a lot to me. Lincoln Kennedy uh, joins us. Uh, longtime Oakland Raider. You lived it the whole Raider way for the past 20 years with your time as a player and a broadcaster. Talk about the transition, not only in the location coming from Oakland to here, but how the image of the organization has really changed since they've came to Las Vegas. Well, you know, if there was any organization that was as best suited for Las Vegas, it had to be the Raiders. Couldn't be anyone else. And during the time of my affiliation with the Raiders, we've seen, you know, teams change cities and, you know, seen new teams come in and stuff like that when I was in the league, you know, with the Jaguars and the Carolina Panthers. But you talk about the addition and you talk about teams moving from Houston to Tennessee, all that other stuff. It just seemed fitting the Raiders to be in, in, in Vegas. Now, I still have an affinity towards Oakland. I still have a lot of love and a lot of friends there. And I wish the deal could get could have gotten done there because I, I believe, at least back in the day, the true identity of the Raiders was Oakland. But at the same point, I didn't think it was fair that we had to live in the shadow of San Francisco. We were always known as a sort of looked at as the stepbrother to the 49ers of San Francisco. So, you know, similar situation that goes on back in New York, depending on who you talk to, whether they're Giants or Jets fans. But, you know, now that they're in Vegas, it really is something to be proud of. I'm, I'm extremely happy for the organization, not only the direction that they're going, but for what they've seen. Most importantly, they have a home that's all their own. You know, you mentioned that my affiliation with the Raiders. Yeah, it's been well over 25 years. Player and the associate and commentator, I've seen everything come and go. But the fact is that we have our own home. You don't have to worry about the green and gold that you had to share with the A's or, you know, down in Los Angeles had to share with USC. This is all Raiders all the way and people are coming. And now for what it's worth, Allegiant Stadium has become, um, to me, another wonder in Vegas, something that you have to see, similar to, you know, the, the, the Tower of Luxor, you know, or New York, New York, Circus, Circus, Stratosphere, all that other stuff. No, it's true. And, you know, I feel the same way you do. I mean, you know, I'm a Northern California guy, and some of my greatest moments, you know, as a very young kid is going to see some of those old Raider games and those playoff games way, way back in the day, and it was part of the fabric, and, and, and you're right. And it's not like that Oakland – you know, they had their opportunity. I mean, numerous yeah. times over and over. And we thought, okay, and I think everybody kind of felt that way. It's like, even though we're here in Vegas, we'd love to be the recipient of the Raiders. But man, it would be cool if they could stay in Oakland and either, you know, get a new stadium because, as you know, they have such a passionate, you know, fan base there. But, you know, being here in Vegas and just, you know, over time, you just, you know, people are going to really connect with this team. And they already have, but you're right. And it's, it's now one of these things where, sure, year one, year two, the, the fans could come in. You know, you're getting, you know, a lot of the fans from the visiting teams. But I think that's going to dissipate a little bit. And it happened with the Golden Knights. The first year of the Golden Knights were the exact same thing. And you're still going to get, you know, those, those Canadian fans that are going to come over. And, hey, this is our vacation. We want to experience this. And the same thing with the Raiders. But I think over time, Lincoln, and, you know, you know this better than anybody, they give it another two or three years, that's going to be all silver and black of 60. 5,000 plus. I've played in places where, you know, sound and the crowd was uh, variable. Um, uh, I've seen what it was like. I remember the old Kingdom playing up in Seattle. When that place would get loud, you couldn't hear the man standing right next to you yelling at the, screaming at the top of his lungs. And I say that to say this. 
when the Raiders are able to turn things around and generate more wins, that will dictate a true home vantage in Las Vegas. The fans will come. They're there. The Raider Nation's there. They want to have something to cheer about. Since the Raiders have been in Vegas, they have not had a, as good of a home record as they've had on the road, which was a total flip from what I was used to. But it is what it is. So now they've got to turn things around and start winning those home games to make it a true home field advantage. When they do, the people will turn out. The people won't be selling their tickets to visiting teams, uh, visiting people. And more importantly, they'll be there to cheer their and scream their heads off. Mm-hmm. Alumni weekend this past weekend. We had heard there were over like 200 former Raiders that were yeah. here. And, you know, we always talk about this with Mark Davis. Once a Raider, always a Raider. And we've seen Mark do this, you know, with the Aces as well, too, even though they don't have that long history. But uh, this, is, this is the Raider way. And you've been through all of these. How mm-hmm. special was it to have these type of reunions and then talk a little bit about this past weekend? You know, it wasn't that long ago when I remember talking to some of the, the, the big wigs and the people upstairs and uh, Kristen Alton, who was a, one of Al Davis's assistants, uh, and a couple other people that were trying to put this whole alumni thing together. And back then, we weren't as strong. Morris Bradshaw was extremely instrumental as well as turning things around and being more involved with the alumni. And I was talking with some of the guys, you know, this past week, and they were like, why did it take so long for this thing to happen? I said, well, it's twofold. First of all, a lot of times we didn't have contact information for a lot of guys, so we had to reach back out and find those guys. And secondly, it's not, you know, I've, I've had the experience and I've been around alumni groups where some of the alumni groups think, it's, think of it like a big money grab, where they were like, well, the organization should be doing this, 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 and this for me. No, it's, it's not about that. It's about coming out and sharing camaraderie and being, being about something. So coming up with a formula that works for both parties, and that means the player as well as the organization, was important. It was critical. But more importantly, what Mark Davis and the staff have made a commitment to is showing that alumni matters. We stand on the shoulders of the guys that come before us, Gene Upshaw, Art Shell. I stand on those guys. And, you know, Steve Wisniewski and those guys. And then the guys that came after us, you know, the Khalif Barnes, you know, the Donald Penns, all those guys that have come after us, they stand on my shoulders. And what we're trying to do is cement that history, cement that legacy, because it is something to be proud of. It is something to be to be, hold honor about, to be a Raider. Whether you played one game or you played your entire career, they're like pops. No one is going to have, no one's going to be revered at more than Jim Otto or Al Davis or all the predecessors, the ones that created the, the, the history, if you will, uh, of the Raiders. And it didn't matter if it was in Oakland, Los Angeles, or now Las Vegas. It's still a long history to write and a lot of things to achieve. You got it. And we talked to several guys who uh, were here last weekend. They all said the exact same thing. Man, it was a, it was a great time. And, you know, there, there are the people that have been with other organizations, and they say that, that no one kind of does it like the Raiders when it comes right. to these alumni uh, functions. And uh, it was great to see so many of these guys here this past weekend. Uh, Lincoln Kennedy joins us. And get ready. He'll be on the radio call of Raider Nation Radio uh, with the – with the broadcasts here coming up uh, on September the 11th, the opener against the Chargers. Uh, Lincoln, let's talk a little bit about this year's Raiders team. Right. Uh, what has stood out for you as you were watching this training camp under the new regime? Probably the thing that stood out most was the discipline and the eye to details, the attention to details. For the most part, on all three phases of the game, they didn't make a lot of mistakes. And a lot of times in preseason, you kind of have to take that tongue-in-cheek thinking that it's going to be what it's going to be. But in this instance, not playing the majority of their starters, even, I mean, the Miami game, I think they left, uh, they left 31 players behind off the, you know, from the training camp, you know, didn't, didn't take them on the trip. 
to see that and to see the way the guys have still played for that. I know it's only preseason, and trust me, I, I do know the difference between regular season and preseason, so I'm not taking that but a grain of salt. But it does say something because it's easier to coach on the back or the heels of wins than there is losses. We would be speculating or thinking a lot of things, including about to trim down this roster to 53 like we had today and everything else, if, if, if they didn't win a football game in the preseason. Uh, but now you see a new regime come in, you see a new regime implement itself, and with some of the changes that have already been made to the roster, you know, you can scratch your head and say, well, is this going to work? What's going to happen? Do they set, set back? But the positive is that they came out of the preseason 4-0. They played hard. They didn't make a lot of mistakes, which is another thing that stood out to me. Uh, didn't have a lot of penalties and a lot of miscues. That was a well-disciplined, more mature team than I expected to see. So they still got a long way to go. It's going to be a tough season, and I still believe they're playing in the toughest division of football. But they showed me something during the preseason they can compete. And younger guys who didn't necessarily have the, 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 the notoriety or the stats or the spotlight on them uh, went out there and played hard and showed me a little bit of guff. So I'm really proud of that. I'm glad you brought up the discipline factor and the penalties because, let's be honest, I mean, the Raiders have been one of the most penalized teams year in and year out. It's been a, like a lack of discipline. And you, now with, with Josh McDaniels coming in, the new regime, I mean, how much of that really is coaching for a coach to come in here and, and change that culture around? Well, it starts with coaching, but then it has to be handed down to the players. And I think what we've seen throughout the training camp, I don't know if you guys have got a chance to experience it, but players were holding other players accountable. Now, in the past, you know, I'll go back to my playing days, we did police ourselves. And we policed ourselves because we had a hierarchy worked within every position group. And that position group's leader would stand up and say something when his group or his guys were messing up or we would say something collectively. We weren't afraid to police ourselves. And for a long time, I thought the Raiders were lacking that. They were lacking that seniority, that leadership, especially when you're bringing in notable free agents from other teams. This isn't really their team. So why do they really have any say or why would they really try to have any say in anything that goes on if it doesn't truly directly affect them? So, you know, for, for a long time that was what was missing and then when you changed over the roster and you went younger it took time to gel and for for a while there the the senior leader on this team was his quarterback there's nothing wrong with that but you need more than that and so i think that what we saw this year especially with mcdaniel and staff coming in is that you saw them try to elevate the seniority that was already in place and try to make more on it, you know, bringing in guys like Chandler Jones, who had a uh, boisterous way about himself, especially his career, and Max Crosby stepping out of even more than he has in the past. You know, those guys and Darren Waller, and no standouts really stepping up and taking leadership. I think that you saw that and holding that accountability during training camp. I think that's you saw that, and that's what helped make a difference as well. You know, we talk a lot about Derek Carr not taking any reps in the preseason games. Devonte Adams, Hunter Renfro, Darren Waller, and you know we, we've we've seen a lot of the skill position guys just not take anything. Um, obviously, that wasn't the case. You know when you played, is it important for a quarterback, especially in a new system, to get some live reps during the preseason? I, for for specialists, it's not as important. What I mean, specialists are the skill guys, like the quarterbacks, the receivers, and stuff like that. Mainly because. Football has really evolved into a glorified seven-on-seven drill, if that makes sense. The people who need work 
are the people that are on the inside that are making contact. An offensive lineman is not going to get better if he never puts on the pads and he just goes out there in shorts and a helmet and tries to play pity pat with guys. That doesn't work because that's not realistic. That's not what's going to happen during the football season. So the guys that really need contact are the interior guys, the offensive and the defensive linemen. You also need to teach people how to tackle. So that's where your defensive back, secondary, and linebackers come into. More importantly, you have to teach people every now and then how to take some hits. So, yeah, I, I think it's essential for everyone to play during the preseason. But at the same point, I do think there comes a time where a guy is so ingrained and you know what they're going to do that it's, it's frivolous to put them out there and just hit your head against the wall. Plus, in the Raiders situation, it's most especially with them having the offensive line fluctuations and troubles that they've had pretty much through the entire preseason and rolling into the season, I wouldn't want to jeopardize my $40 million man behind that line. Lincoln Kennedy joins us. Uh, long, great career as an offensive lineman in the O-line for the Raiders. Obviously, has been a pretty big topic. Alex Leatherwood, we get the word today that he is one of the cuts. Yeah. What is, talk a little bit about Leatherwood. I'm very curious, Lincoln, of what you saw from Leatherwood for the last couple seasons. Uh, just your grade on him. And then the bigger picture, what's the state of the current O-line? Okay, that's a loaded question. Let's break this thing down. All right, first, my, my, my thoughts on Leatherwood. Um, I thought out of college I was excited about him coming out of college, mainly because he was a guy who played every position on the offensive line aside from center, and he did fairly well, well at it. And I knew the Raiders needed an offensive tackle. So here I thought a guy coming out of Alabama, a story program, having success, knowing what success feels like, Going to be an instant starter, I thought it was going to be good. Now, his technique left me a lot to be desired. And mainly, the, the best way that I can describe it for your audience, being on the radio, is the fact that when you think about um, a boxer, if a boxer throws a punch like a straight edge, you know, a straight arm um, um, uh, punch right or left, and leaves that arm out there, you know another boxer is, can counter and, and, and sort of make you miss or take advantage of you. That was what one, one of Leatherwood's biggest problems is that he would get overextended. He would shoot with both of his hands. He would try to lock up. He would bend at the waist. And then a guy who's fast or strong would try to run away from him. And you end up extending the jersey, and that's how you get, you know, holding penalties or how you give up a, you know, you miss. That played into him in so many ways the fact that he would get down on himself mentally when he messed up that he couldn't recover. Now, I've always said that, you know, look, those guys on the other side of the ball get paid too. So they're going to, you're going to get beat. But the, the key to being a pro is learning from it so you're not beat by the same move twice in the game or again. You want to learn from it. You don't sit there and dwell on it. You have to have a short memory. You're going to mess up. You're going to make mistakes. It's human nature. You try to limit those mistakes as you go on because offensive linemen especially are graded off of consistency. So, I didn't see what I wanted out of the first year. When they moved him in the guard, it made sense. But they still had a hole at tackle. That was the whole thing about this, this, this whole move this season when people were talking about whether or not he has a future with the Raiders. Sure, you don't want to give up on a former first round because you don't want to lose that, 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 that position. You don't want to lose that money that type of that way. But at the same point, you still have a glaring hole at right tackle. And unfortunately for the Raiders, it's, it, you know, whether it's Jermaine Illuminor or someone else, Brandon Parker's on IR for the year, so it can't be him. But if it's Illuminor, they still need to find a hole because I don't think Illuminor is the permanent situation, uh, solving the permanent situation. All right. Uh, well, well broken down there. Okay. Biggest concern for this team as you see it right now as we get ready to head into opening day? Offensive line yeah. is one. 
Uh, interior defensive line at the defensive tackle spots is another, uh, as well as the defensive backs. You know, reading that Trayvon Mullen is going to be right. traded to the Cardinals. You know, I thought Trayvon had come a long way as being one of those notable shutdown corners, which I think it bodes well for types of defenses. You know, we had it with Casey Hayward last year. So, uh, in, but I think I'm thinking because I'm only speculating what I've seen out of Patrick Graham's defense the short time that I've been able to study it, not only with the Raiders, but when he was with the Giants. They're playing a variable defense. I can only imagine that Trayvon Mullen isn't as good in the zone package. I know he could play man, but in the zone package that uh, Patrick Graham might require, then that's why they're moving on for him. So defensive secondary is a big question mark as well. No doubt about it. All right, he is Lincoln Kennedy. You can catch Lincoln, of course, on the radio uh, broadcast of the Raiders, uh, Raider Nation Radio. Uh, does a fantastic job there. And again, you know, one of the great uh, offensive linemen uh, with the Raiders back in the day. And uh, Lincoln, I'm heading up to, to your old neck of the woods, going to Seattle for the, you know, the A and, and the storm here. Nice. And I, I need some help, man. I need some help because you know, I'm a big food guy and I'm looking for some food spots. So I need you to direct me. And, and there is, uh, I guess it's not a rumor, it, it's a fact that uh, you actually knocked down some sausages over at Schultz's back in the day. <laughs> is, is, is this true? You got to tell me this. You got to tell our listeners about this. Lincoln Kenny knocking down some sausages on the wall of oh fame. Oh, my goodness. You brought back Schultz's. Wow. I, I still still can't eat a broad after all that. Um, first of all, it depends on where you're staying, but there's no shortage of food places. It's a great Seattle's a great city, great sports town. You'll have a wonderful time, and I, and I hopefully wish the Aces the best of luck. Uh, it is a it is a tall task, as you know, to, to beat the, the storm. Anyways, um, Schultes, uh, real quick, in college, uh, book and tackle of mine, friend of mine, uh, Sapelli Malamala, uh, showed me this little sausage place on the app next in the university in the, in the university district. It was called Schultes Sauces, and they would make their own homemade brats. They had this competition where if you can get your your lunch for free or your dinner for free if you beat the record of eating a brats in an hour. Uh, with the bread and stuff like that. So one day, you know, Supelli and I were com- you know, competitive. He challenged me to eat it. We, we, we started doing it. Soup tapped out about four or five into it. Uh, sauces is into it, brats into it. Then when I realized that I was about to top out like at six, um, I realized that if we didn't break the record, we'd have to pay for it. Well, back then, it was, there was no NIL. We weren't getting any, you know, any subsidies, any monies on the side. So I'm thinking, how the heck I'm going to pay for this? So I got to push for the record. The record at the time was 10 um, and one hour, and these were good-sized broths. These were homemade and all different kinds. So um, I pushed on, and I swear I had... It felt it felt like I had sausage and buns up to my eyeballs. I was so full, could not wait. I got to 11, put it down, made time. I beat the record, and, and of course it goes out in history because everybody wants to talk about it. So <laughs> <laughs> That's a great story, man. 11 sausages yeah. there on the Wall of Fame. It, 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 Schul- yeah. Is Schultz still there? Schultz, as far as I know, I think, well, they moved to a different building. No longer in the same building. They were just a little hole in the wall when I went there, but they have a bigger building. And the last time that I was at the university district many years ago, I don't know if it's still there, but they had a, they had their wall of fame, and I was at the top, and people still talk about it to this day. That's When you talk about brats, just, okay, cause I spent 12 years in Green Bay, and, again, I've never really heard anyone really talk about brats outside of Wisconsin, and uh-huh. I didn't know that was that big up in Seattle. That's interesting. Oh, yeah, yeah, Polish kebabs. Uh, 
tacos, yeah. brats, sausages. I mean, yeah, they they made their own stuff, and it was. I mean, it was good stuff, and it was it wasn't cheap, but it was good stuff. So I had to break the record, or I couldn't pay for it. There it is, great stuff. I would have been washing dishes. Oh, you guys would never heard of Lincoln Kennedy football player. I would have been a dishwasher, <laughs> <laughs> and a darn good one playing a trumpet too, probably. <laughs> there you go. There you go. Hey, Lincoln, uh, great catching up with you. Now we we started this thing last year, uh, the Friday before Labor Day. It's uh, the TC Martin Show Song Fest, where we're go we go music and we have all of our guests our regular guests pick a song and introduce it i would love for you to oh, participate wow. on friday and when you know we got the who's who we got our nba guys we got our football guys we got our baseball guys and you being a music guy like me man uh i'd love to lock you into a spot on friday the only thing that you need to do my man is come up with a song let us know and you get to play dj uh during about a one minute segment on friday are you down well, it's hard for me to commit because i got to do college football on Saturdays, guys, so Friday is usually a travel day for me. I don't right. want to mess you guys up, you know what I mean? Yeah, okay, all right. I, you know. I'm, not talking, I'm not trying to get out of it. I'm just trying to be real. I don't want to set up something I can't live through or come through war. No, I understand that, but you, let's just say this. you Give us a song, give us a song, that, and we'll plug in your name on it on on Friday. And actually, we may even just play this back on Friday. What would be Lincoln Kennedy's go-to song for you? Uh, you know what? I'm going to keep it simple. I'm going to say Waterbed Heavy by Heavy D and the Boys. Heavy D and the Boys. I like it. Waterbed Heavy. I I like that, man. That's strong. Lincoln Kennedy, my man. We appreciate you, brother. Appreciate uh, it, fam. Continued success on the radio side. And uh, always love seeing you up there in, in the press box. And hopefully we can do this again. Sounds good, TC. Thank you, guys. You have a good one, man. Appreciate it. it. There it is. Lincoln Kennedy coming with a little heavy D. There we go. All right. You got to love that, Numchuck. You got to love that. Heavy D and the boys. Now, I could go with some heavy D myself there, but he came with a strong one. All right. So we're going to put the link down for Friday because he does got to travel because he's going to be doing a lot of college football and stuff as well, too. So the Song Fest underway, like we said, coming your way on Friday. We look forward to that and uh, all of our regular guests uh, checking in there. Great stuff with Lincoln Kennedy. All right. When we come back, we're going to talk to Kevin Kruger, a little UNLV hoop. They just got back from Canada. They went 2-1 and one on their international trip, and they went to Canada. We'll talk to Kevin Kruger, and we know Kevin Kruger's participating as well, too, on Friday. And uh, we'll get his intro for his song as well, too. Oh, yeah. Doing it for you on a terrible Tuesday, but there ain't nothing terrible about this. Yeah, more in store around your door. More of what you're looking for right here. Lounging on the corner, verbalizing with your friends. And again, I still ain't got the nerve to speak. So I beep, continue to creep. Lay low and act discreet, yeah. It's the enemy over there. They're not your friends. You don't go over there and shake hands, smile, hug their neck. Let's knock them on their backs, butt them in the mouth, knock their ass in the dirt. That's what we got to do. We got to stop that buddy ball. Smash everybody in the mouth. Take the running backs to the stand. Run up in the stands and slap their mama. Live in the entertainment capital of the world, it's the T.C. Martin Show. It is showtime, baby. Here we go. It's time to get your daily prescription from the doctor, T.C. Martin. Going to be fielded by Lorenzo Neal at the 25. Yeah, Pitches it, it back to Wycheck. He throws it across the field to Dyson. He's got something. 30, He's got 40, something. 50, He's got 40, it. 40, He's got it. 20, 10, He's got it. End zone. It's a 
doctor is now in. Hour number two here on this Tuesday. Oh, yeah, you know what it is? It's a terrible Tuesday, so I'll have some terrible Tuesday takes coming up a little later on this hour as well. Appreciate Lincoln Kennedy joining us last hour. And uh, this hour, we'll talk a little bit more football and, of course, aces as well, too. Getting ready for game number two tomorrow night back at the house at the Michelob Ultra Arena, Mandalay Bay. Aces ready to tie this series up. They dropped one on Sunday, 76-73. to WNBA semifinals, but they still are the number one seed. Have home court advantage, and uh, they can even up this uh, series on Wednesday. Go back to Seattle in games three and four, and uh, maybe even a, if necessary, game game five. So Becky Hammond today was basically saying, hey, we don't want to have a game five. We're going to take care of business Wednesday. Let's go up to Seattle, take care of business up there, win them both. Boom. And I like that. So hopefully that does happen. All right. Talking some more basketball right now with our good friend, the UNLV head coach, Kevin Kruger. What is up, my man? Not too much. How are you guys doing? I'm good, man. We are good. So you guys just get back from Canada. You had your little the the international trip, right? I mean, uh, mm-hmm. each 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 team gets this. Now, is this still the where it's like every what four years or so you get to go on an international trip, or has the NCAA loosened that up now, or what, what are the rules with that now? No, it's it's still every four years you get an opportunity to take a foreign trip. Uh, ours was actually supposed to be two years ago, but uh, with COVID and and international travel laws to Canada, we uh, we backed it up the last. Uh, two summers, so we were finally able to go. All right. So, uh, so why was the the choice uh, Canada, Kevin? Any particular reason? Well, it was on. It, it was actually put together by uh, TJ, right? Uh, but you know, and then uh, everything was in place. Uh, the the travel par- uh, parties and the teams up there. Uh, I think they were willing to work with us uh, just about when we could get up there because um, last year we had talked about it they were okay with doing it last year and then when we just moved it to this year they were okay with us moving it to this year because of uh, how difficult it is it's been to travel so uh it, we just kind of kept it uh, in place but it was a great it was a great trip a great opportunity uh for the guys to be together and and a quick one as well you know just about a three-hour flight up there so um there's up there back same time zone um, a lot of things uh, just make sense. You know, it is really cool when you go on these trips because, again, like you said, the main thing is for, for a coach and these players is to get the bonding done. And when you go on the road, you know, kind of a little off-season thing, I mean, it, it really does give you a chance to know the players a little bit better and also let these guys know each other, you know, better too in this type of setting. Don't you agree? Well, hundred percent. That's why that's the the benefit of having it. You get to see what guys are going to be like uh, with multiple consecutive practices. Um, you know, instead of figuring out that out the first few weeks in the in the of official practice, you get to see what they're like during travel, what they're like in film sessions. What you know, you get to see all those things that you uh, usually you have to wait until November to see. Uh, you get to see them. Uh, you know how they approach every day, how they approach games the after games, the morning after the game. I mean, you just get to see so many things that help shape, uh, you know, your kind of your vision and your approach of how, as a staff, of how to make uh, every player as efficient and and have a great uh, experience and how to help the team win. What would you say would be, was the highlight uh, for you on this trip? Well, I, I mean, I know it's just the highlight of, 
of the trip was just, you know, we wanted to see so many different things. Um, we were able to see, you know, we had some, some flight issues. How are the guys going to handle that? We had some, uh, you know, two, three games in four days. How did the guys handle that? Uh, the film sessions after breakfast, you know, we, we intentionally went a little long with one. You know, how, how do they handle that? So uh, I think the highlight of the, the whole thing altogether was just, you know, all of the talking points we now have and all of the numbers that we have from the practices and the games, um, we can show to the guys and we can – explain to them why we see things the way that we see them as a staff. So you played, you know, Canadian college teams, and a lot of people here in the States wouldn't even associate that that there is college basketball up there. And this is this is what it was, right? You guys end up going 2-1, and one, but you know, how would you grade the team's performance during those three games when we're looking at the team on the court? I thought they did a really good job. Uh, again, we... Uh, you know, we we made we we wanted the opportunity to see how everyone was going to react in certain situations, and I think we got that. We uh, we had guys, you know, you know, encouraging each other, talking, trying to figure things out. Um, mixture of different lineups, uh, mixture of substitution patterns. So, you know, you didn't, you know, as the season goes on, usually the players get into a rhythm. You know, they're used they're used to either going in or coming out at a certain time. Uh, for this person, for that person, uh, and uh, we, we we mixed that up, and we we just kind of threw them curveballs, and and uh, just hoping that they would really grasp it and and grab that that challenge and that opportunity to figure each other out. So, uh, I, I, and I thought they did a really good job of that, communicating, talking, and and just really kind of just trying to problem solve. How many players do you actually get to take on these trips? Uh, we took everybody. Okay. We took everybody except uh, the guys that were injured, which was uh, EJ Harkless and Vic Awakor. Okay. All right. So, yeah, you're talking about a, a, a full – is this now – because, you know, like a lot of times with, with summer, sometimes you maybe you'll have a, like a little expanded roster, so to speak. That's why I didn't know if, you know, again, you know, your, the roster that you're going to be uh, putting out there, uh, you know, come opening night or, you know, the opening in, in October, that's the guys that you took with you. Right. Yeah, for the for the most part. Uh, I, I mean, of course, adding you know Vic, who played a, a big role for us last year, and then Harkless, who played yeah. a big role at Oklahoma last year. So obviously, two guys that are going to be expected to have big roles for us this year. Um, but it, it also provided a great opportunity for you know a handful more minutes to be you know distributed, and and uh, you know we got an opp- again we got a great opportunity to play everybody. Nobody played over twenty three minutes in any of the games, so. We got to see how guys were going to act tired, how they were going to act, you know, doing this, doing that, and and uh, and that was really just the goal of the trip. Kevin Kruger joins us, head coach at UNLV, and the Rebels got a chance to go up to Canada for their international trip uh, last week, uh, playing uh, three different um, Canadian college teams there. Kevin, how would you rate the, the competition that you faced up there? Well, I thought they did a good job. I thought they, uh, I thought it was a, it was a good challenge for us. Um, you know, they were a couple of those teams had taken trips themselves, so uh, they had a, a couple of games under their belt. So they were learning each other and figuring each other out and being more comfortable with with their teams as as our guys were learning each other. So I, I thought it was it was a great experience. And when we get that opportunity to to travel again. Um, the the discussion of going to Canada and, and doing the same kind of trip, maybe just a little bit longer, would is going to certainly be 
at, at the top of the list just because of, of the opportunity and the teams we were able to play. What would you say is the equivalent of the teams that you faced up there in Canada if you, like, say, compared it to a conference here uh, in the United States? Uh, it'd be really hard to say, uh, mainly because there, there's just some, uh, there's a handful of rule differences in FIBA. Um, okay. You know, the, with the 24 second shot clock, you know, styles can be a little bit different. Um, you know, timeouts can only be called on a dead ball. You can't throw it into the backcourt. Just little things that you kind of, uh, they, they just kind of alter the game, I think, just enough to where it'd be kind of tough to compare them. But, uh, you know, talented, talented guys good groups they played unselfish they played together so um like i said i just i think if we had the opportunity to do it again in a couple of years i think we'd be all over it now are, are there uh there what's the word i'm looking for here eligibility is it pretty much the same up there or are you facing maybe some older um you know players as well up there uh you know honestly that's a great question i'm not sure uh-huh. i'm not sure i do know they are able to uh, spend a little more time together uh, with uh, through uh, the NCAA versus uh, you know the the U play up there, so um, but I'm not sure on the on the ages of the guys. All right, so if you're going to Canada now, I, I was told to ask you this question because I'm not a coffee drinker at all. But did you have any Tim Hortons coffee? And I, I'm not oh, even sure I, what that means, Kevin. So hey, help me out here. I'm actually I don't know what that means either. Really? I'm not good. <laughs> I, I don't. Uh, I just. We, you know, we had the four. We had four days and three games. Uh, the coaches, I don't think we got out too much. So apparently, this Tim Hortons coffee is this, I guess, world-renowned coffee that you can only get in Canada. I guess that's where they're located, and people rave about it. But see, I'm not a coffee drinker. I'm a tea guy. I'm a big iced tea guy. But but coffee, I I, I just don't partake in. So um there you go so I, I guess we have something in common there but yeah you weren't familiar with tim horton's coffee no no unfortunately <laughs> not because if you, if you say if it's that if it's that good i wish i would have tried it i know right i, I don't know this is uh this is interesting uh, but then again you didn't even get a chance to explore I me mean, you're going you're going uh you know it's not a vacation we understand that kevin but you gotta you know wine and dine a little bit right there come on you didn't get a chance to, to get out with some good restaurants no, I agree with you, and that's what I think. That would be one thing if we if we were to do it again, we'd probably just space out the games a little more as much as we can. You know, other teams willing, of course, and 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 enjoy the area a little bit more. But uh, you know, this this trip uh, kind of was what it was, and but I'm with you. I think the next time we absolutely need to spend a little more time there and get out and see more uh, more places in the city. Yeah. Okay. So you mentioned that uh, TJ organized this. Say, you know, when when it comes your turn, where's Kevin Kruger saying we're going? Which foreign country uh, do you, do you want to circle? Oh, you know, that's a that's a great question. Like again, I I think Canada that opportunity would be right up there at the front again, but you know, it's something we'd have to discuss because I think uh, you know next time we'd be very we'd encourage you know, friends and family and fans and, and just uh, and promote it and, and try to get as many rebel people as we could where we were going. So maybe we'd have we'd probably just have to take a vote. Okay, so I got a vote. Okay. Now I don't know if if this is coming up. Now because this was a twenty twenty trip, does the NCAA say, Hey, you guys can go back in twenty twenty four or because you actually took it in twenty twenty two that you gotta wait till twenty twenty six? So yeah, you you bring that up. We're actually gonna ask the NCAA. 
and we're gonna we're gonna ask them since we were uh, not able to go two years ago when it was planned in 2020 if we if they would be okay with us going again in 24. Yeah. Because, uh, but we are absolutely yeah we uh, we enjoyed it we loved it um, we want to do it again and yeah so I'm I'm with you on that I'm hoping that the NCAA sees it uh, our way and we could go again in 24. Okay, so my vote, Kevin, and I'm going to make you take me on this one, okay? If I got to be whatever, ball boy, luggage carrier, doesn't matter. Uh, I'm voting Germany. Can we go to Germany? Let's Germany. get the Rebels go to Germany. And we, as you okay. know, great basketball in Germany. I mean, great basketball. They love their basketball. And then we can go catch a Bundesliga soccer game, go see a little Bayern Munich, Borussia Mönchengladbach, Dortmund, and in the restaurants, and the weather would be good. I'm telling you, Germany, Kevin. I'm with you. I'm with you. I, I think that'd be great. That's it. Man, maybe I could be on the staff by that point in time. There it is. I could just yeah, be. I could. Be, I could be the Kevin Kruger's, uh, the traveling secretary, like George Costanza was in Seinfeld. Yeah, you'd be our, our in-house travel agent. There it is. There it is. Sign, sign me up. Nunchuck, can I get a bell on that one? Ring me up for that one. There it is. There you go. Ah, that was weak. That was terrible. I come up with these great ideas. And there you go. That's much better. There it is. All right. All right, so how happy are you with your uh, recruiting class coming up here as we look ahead to the season? Uh, very happy. I think this is a, a group that's hungry, you know, coming from a lot of different places, but I think we have enough of our core back uh, to kind of help those, uh, those the transfers especially, the, to help them know what we want, what daily life is like here as a running rebel and, and what's expected. Um, and then you combine that with the trip. Uh, I, I think that, you know, the whole purpose of the trip is so that when November 7th rolls around, it doesn't feel like the first game. And I think with the 10 practices and the three games in Canada and the travel and the time we got to spend together, I think uh, we, we accomplished that. So really happy. Uh, it's, an, it's an unbelievable group, an unbelievably competitive group. Um, and a lot of them uh, coming in have, have high-level experience and a lot of games under their belt. So uh, we're really excited about them. Great guys. Um, if you were able to get to one of the, one of our open practices or, or our open t- practice to the public the Saturday before we left, then uh, I, I think you would have seen that, that this is a group that you have no no problem put your kids and your family around. So, where do you think that you've improved your team the most? Well, I think as much as anything is just having that second year. You know, mm-hmm. having a second summer. Um, just having that time together and, you know, having the guys come back when you talk about like Keyshawn Gilbert, Justin Webster, Mwoka, uh, you know, Walker, I know I'm leaving some out, but just having those guys that can kind of provide that steady hand and that, that security of knowing what the coaches are looking for and knowing what days are like. Um, I just think when you blend that together with the new group, uh, our biggest advantage and, and why we should be, you know, so excited for the season as much as anything is now that we have that, that we have a little more time, more months, more practices under our belts together, and uh, and just kind of a, I guess the growth of it. You know, we've talked before about the transfer portal, and you know the transfer portal can work to your advantage, and sometimes it can work against you as, as well too. Give me your thoughts on, you know, now a, a year under your belt with this, and especially, again, with everything's changing with college sports, specifically basketball, the NIL, and then now the way the transfer portal is. H- how do you feel that, I guess, you've worked the transfer portal or the transfer portal has worked to your advantage at UNLV? Well, I think the, the way it worked the most is, you know, last summer we had 
at one point we had 11 guys in the portal. Um, you know, Bryce decided to come back, um, but so that, that, that only gave us three people. Um, so having the transfer portal allowed us to pretty much field a team last year, and then all things considered, a whole group of new guys, I thought, you know, they accomplished our main goal, which was, you know, having a team that the, the, that the alums and the fan base in the city could root for and that they were proud to root for, and I thought the guys did a great job of that. But uh, as for the portal, it's all moving so fast. <laughs> Everything's changing so fast. I mean, we're finding, it seems like you find something new out every day on what's going to be allowed, what's not allowed. But to be honest, I mean, I, I am in full support that you should be able to leave one time. I'm, I am in full support of that. I think, you know, sometimes you get there, sometimes you're too far away from home. Sometimes, you know, you don't play as well as you wanted and somebody else does and you're just looking for greener pastures. I, I think that a one-time transfer rule is more than fair. I think it's, you know, because guys should have the opportunity to enjoy their college experience. Where I think I speak for a lot of coaches, where it's going to get, it's got to, there's got to be something with transferring a second time. Um, you know, if, and if not, you're just going to end up with teams and that are just have, you know, you're going to have guys that have been at three or four places, and that's going to be the regular. That's going to be the norm. Um, I would just like to see some stability there on that second uh, transfer. So basically what you're saying is you'd like to see some restrictions of that instead of just being just so open just to say, hey, maybe it's a, it's a one-time you know, move for each athlete. Is that what you're saying? Which makes total sense, too, for so many reasons. I, yeah, I think, I mean, I think that's fair. I think you know, somebody wanting to try to get to go somewhere else, go back home, have a bigger role, whatever the reason may be, I think one-time is, is fair. Um, but if, if we want to do it a bunch of times, uh, if putting in something that, you know, uh, on the university side where just some sort of assurance that somebody's either going to be there for more than one year or not going to transfer a, a third, potentially a third or a fourth time, um, I think that, you know, just something along those lines where it's not just, I just, I think guys that transfer to, you know, four, we're starting to see guys be at four schools. Um, uh, it's just, uh, I think it's, uh, it's just a little bit, a bit too much. You know, you were one of those guys way back when that, you know, you, you transferred, you know, your senior year, you came here, uh, from Arizona state to UNLV. So, and, you know, like you said, you, sometimes you need to change the scenery or whatever, but, you know, looking back, you know, in your situation, I mean, I, I'll, I'll speak for you or I'll, I'll let you speak for yourself about, you know, how well that went for you. Well, yeah, and I think, you know, uh, of course, I'm probably a little biased because I did it, but, you know, in my case, my, my coach at Arizona State, Rob Evans, was let go. Yeah. And and nothing against Herb Sendek. I, I still talk to him to this day. He's an unbelievable basketball coach, um, but no, uh, no disrespect or, <laughs> to him, but having the opportunity to play for my dad who I knew and who I knew what, you know, what life was going to be like at UNLV, you know, had I not been able to do that or grad transfer, um, but the, it's kind of those, those examples is why I think guys should have the ability to, to move one time. And, you know, if it, if there's a coaching change or maybe they're too far from home, whatever it may be, it, it really doesn't matter with that one time. And then, you know, anything past that, I think would need, uh, just a little bit, uh, more of a, a dive into the why of it. 
Mm-hmm. Kevin Kruger, the UNLV head coach, uh, Rebels got a chance to go on their international trip to Canada last week. Uh, success there. Looking forward to, like you said, November 7th. And they roll it out, and we're looking forward to, to this coming season uh, with Kevin Kruger and his team. Kevin, how closely have you got a chance to watch uh, the Aces in the, in the WNBA playoffs so far? No, well, yeah, I mean, everything Las Vegas. Yeah. You know, follow it and, and support it. And, um, yeah, I know that, I mean, they've had an unbelievable year. Uh, Coach Ham has done an unbelievable job, especially in her first year. And, no, rooting for him, of course. Just like, I mean, even, you know, we're all at, at the UNLV football game and, and watching uh, Brumfield and, and Coach Arroyo offensively just, just throwing the ball all around and, and having fun with it. But, yeah, we have, I mean, anything and everything Las Vegas, we, uh, we're in support of. Yeah, that's great. That's great. Yeah, again, you know, would love to see you out there here. Again, got a game on Wednesday night, game number two. And then, of course, you know, hopefully the Aces advance uh, to the finals, and that would be uh, fantastic. But, yeah, the atmosphere has been uh, fantastic out there, and we know that the atmosphere is going to be great for, for you guys this coming season as well, too. Uh, definitely the program, definitely going in the right direction uh, for the Rebels. All right, so as you know, Kevin, we've got our, our Song Fest, which is coming back on, on Friday and I know that you may be a little indisposed, but you know we had you join us last year. I know you're dying to participate again, and, and, and we want you to participate. So what we may have to do, Kevin, is kind of like play in advance here and you know play this part back of the show on Friday if you're okay with it. If you've got your go-to song, let's say you know we need to hear from Kevin Kruger for the Song Fest on Friday. All right, I got I got no problem with that. You got no problem with it. Okay, now are you ready? Can you come with a song right now? I can. Okay, no, okay. I'm going to set this up there. Now, Chuck, we're going to set it up for Kevin Kruger since he can't be with us. And I don't know, are we, are we allowed to say where you're going to be or what you're going to be doing, or should we just say you're indisposed on Friday because he, he's not blowing us off. I think he's going he's going somewhere where no cell phones are allowed, right? Yeah, I'm actually going to got an opportunity to be a soldier for a day. Wow. And uh, so I won't have my phone with me, but uh, Dale Eels has in- invited me to, to experience that. And, I mean, just couldn't jump at that opportunity fast enough. Uh, obviously so thankful and appreciative with our military that uh, to get to spend a day even acting and pretending like we could understand what they go through and what they live like. Uh, if that If they see any level of thanks on our half, uh, I mean, we just, We'd be over the moon that they could see how appreciative and thankful we are. So, uh, really excited for it, but will not have my cell phone. Happy that uh, you are actually doing that, and proud of you for doing that. And that sounds like a wonderful experience. So, so good luck uh, with a soldier for a day, Kevin. All right, so that takes us to Kevin Kruger and the TC Martin Show Song Fest. Kevin, what is your song? Let's let's hear why you picked this song. Okay, so I have been. I have. Two little girls at home now. I got a nine-month-old who's just got mobile. About a month ago, she started crawling. I've got my two-and-a-half, almost three-year-old who is just running the house and running around. I've got my wife at home just, just you know, keeping the house upright and making everything I do possible. So I'm going to go with Phil Vassar, Just Another Day in Paradise. Wow, there it is. All right, here's a little Phil Vassar, courtesy of the UNLV head coach, Kevin Kruger. There you go. We're playing that back on Friday. How's that, Kevin? There it is. That was great. That Thank was, you, guys. That was awesome, brother. Have a good time on Friday. Appreciate the time, and we look forward to talking with you before the season uh, tips off. 
Uh, well, let's talk. Let's figure out a time to talk about the soldier for a day. Yes, yes. You let me let me know when you want to do that. You, are you talking about uh, uh, the the uh, post post time, like next week? Are you talking about? Or yeah, 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 like next week or the week after or something like D- that. Done, done. Okay, we'll definitely do that and look forward to it. Perfect. All right, thank you guys. Thanks, brother. Appreciate you. Uh, yeah. There it is, Kevin Kruger, the UNLV head coach. We got Canada. Talked a little Germany. Not familiar with the coffee. And we got his song in there. There you go. Good stuff. Now, Numchuk, are you familiar with his song? I mean, he went Stand By Me last year. I know he did. He went Ben E. King, Stand By Me. And then, wow. I don't even, I don't even play it. I'm not going to. Because we got, we got to save it for Friday. But I thought it was pretty cool that we recorded that there. There we go. You, you did hit the record button, right? Oh, yeah, see, I know. I guess can't. You know, what am I going to do on that? Of course, I hit yeah, the record yeah, button. Yeah. Uh, come on. Very nice. When we come back, some terrible Tuesday takes. Hey, this is Steve Heitner, and lucky you, you're listening to the T.C. Martin Show. Uh, that's gold, baby. Gold. Boom, boom, bubble dum, boom, 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 bubble dum. The T.C. Martin Show Song Fest coming your way on Friday, commercial-free, nothing but the jams, nothing but the music, all genres covered. And if you're a long-time listener to the show, you'll know what this song resembles. One of our regular guests, Timmy B., Tim Brando, who uh, joined us last year for the Song Fest. Tim cannot join us Friday because he's actually calling not one... But two college football games this weekend, Friday and Saturday. So uh, he cannot join us, but uh, he did say, play him some Bertha Butt Boogie. (laughs) Last year, Timmy B came strong with uh, BTO, a little Bachman Turner Overdrive. So yes, it's the TC Bart Show Song Fest. You'll get to hear some of uh, my favorite songs. We'll even let Numchuck get a song or two in there. Well, maybe one. Death metal. Yeah, zero songs for Numchuck. Absolutely does not go here. Uh, no, but anyway, yeah, it's again, I have I do not sway any of our guests for what songs they want to choose. It's whatever they want to choose because again, uh, it's a song fest. Our guests get to come on, play DJ, and tell us what song they want to hear and what special meaning it has to them. And uh, there you go. So, yeah. So they'll be coming out of the woodwork again. So listen on Friday. Again, we did this for the first time last year. It was uh, fantastic. And uh, we've got a chance to replay that uh, Songfest edition uh, several times, especially like during the holidays and stuff like that uh, for best ofs. And uh, so, yeah, volume two, brand new, coming up this Friday as we kick off the long three day Labor Day festivities. We got plenty of football on tap, college football. And, of course, uh, the WNBA playoffs. Uh, I will be up in Seattle for games three and hopefully four as well. And uh, we'll see how that transpires. But the Aces back in action tomorrow night for game number two. But looking forward to the Song Fest. And listeners, you can hit us as well, too, at tcmartinshow.com or on Twitter at tcmartin21. And if you got a favorite song, we'll plug in there for you as well, too. Do we want to talk about the next week's shows? Next week's shows. Who's hosting? Uh, while I'm gone. While you're gone. TJ Reeves will be uh, Thank you. Will be hosting. Yeah. You like that? You I like do. TJ? I, I like TJ as a guest host. Good. As, as a guest, he's kind of terrible. 
as a guest host, he's decent. Well, as you know, many people feel that way. And that's why he usually likes to come on this day. It's Terrible Tuesday. That's terrible. Things gone wrong in the sporting world. That's a terrible idea. I want to know what the hell he's smoking. Something stinks in here. That's terrible. <laughs> it's Terrible Tuesday. Things gone wrong in the sporting world. Alrighty then. Wow. Some terrible news last week occurred in the uh, from the NBA side. Chet Holmgren. All right, you remember Chet Holmgren, the number two overall pick for Oklahoma City Thunder. We got a chance to see him play quite a bit with uh, Gonzaga, and he was a one-and-done guy. Well, Chet Holmgren came here to Las Vegas, played in the NBA Summer League, played pretty well, averaged double digits, and a lot of people, including myself, a little skeptical about him and his you know, big you know, 7'2 frame, uh, very thin, only at about 180 pounds. Uh, well... He survived the NBA Summer League, but Chet Holmgren did not survive what came next. And that was Chet Holmgren was playing in a another Summer League that was sanctioned by the NBA, and uh, he injured himself, and now he's going to be out for the entire season. He injured his foot and will have surgery. Just terrible news. And it's terrible on how it happened. Now, while playing in this Pro-Am event called the Crossover Pro-Am, Cross as in C-R-A-W, Cross, Crossover Pro-Am, up in uh, Washington, outside of Seattle, included several current and former NBA players, LeBron James, Jason Tatum, Paulo Bancaro, the number one overall pick of this draft, where Holmgren was number two, um, and... uh, Devontae Murray and Aaron Gordon were playing as well, too. Well, here's how this happened. So Chet Holmgren ended up guarding LeBron James uh, on a breakaway, on a fast break. So LeBron James got the ball across midcourt. Holmgren was already back and started to retreat when he was at the top of the key. Uh, LeBron crossed him over, and uh, LeBron went in, made, made the hoop. And uh, Holmgren went down hard, fell awkwardly on his foot. Now, he went down, and the result was that he injured his foot severely. Basically, broken foot, going to have surgery. Um, The condition of the court had a lot to do with this as well, uh, with the injury. It was a very small gym, hot day in Seattle, a lot of moisture on the floor, And it was so bad that they decided to cancel the second half of this game. So, here's the problem here. This is actually an NBA-sanctioned event, which I find kind of shocking. The NBA will sanction the Summer League, but why are they sanctioning these Pro-Am things? Much like the Summer League, I mean, but different than the Summer League. That's an evaluation process, the NBA Summer League. You're evaluating, and people are fighting for roster spots. In this Pro-Am, there's nothing structured about this. So why should the NBA even sanction this is beyond me. And that's a big deal for his recovery process, and I'll explain why here. Because if a player is injured in the NBA Summer League 
or in this event, their future earnings will not be in jeopardy if they recover from the injury. So if Chet Holmgren recovers from this injury, he actually will you know, not hurt his earnings. The Thunder will receive an insurance reimbursement of 80% of Holmgren's per-game salary, which is about $4 million. Now, after he misses 41 games you know, this upcoming season, that would go into effect. But a very sad injury, uh, the way it happened. LeBron James, you know, no follow LeBron James. But again, why are we playing these events? We're always talking about, you know, players with load management during the course of the regular season. We're talking about not playing in the preseason. Well, why in the heck are you playing in a meaningless, and it is meaningless, pro-am, total meaningless. I don't care if you are raising money for charity or whatever, players getting injured, and then because this happens, you'll see more and more players opt out of these type of things in all sports. But very sad, and what's terrible about this is that Chet Holmgren got injured is going to miss the entire 22-23 NBA season. All right, more injuries here uh, on baseball side. Justin Verlander, very sad. He goes on the IL today after having maybe his best season ever. Now, Astros are saying that it's a 15-day IL, and we know that if it's 10 days or it's 15 days, that really doesn't mean anything. Michael Brantley has been on the 15-day IL for three and a half months. But uh, the Astros are hoping and thinking that this is going to be short-term for Verlander. So Verlander was pitching in Sunday's game. He was rolling, struck out the side in the first inning, struck out nine, I believe, uh, or six in the first three innings, and then he had to exit in the third inning with a calf strain. And what's sad about this is that the Astros have been so careful with him. He is the American League Cy Young favorite. Remember, he sat out nearly two seasons, and they were very careful. When he had a no-hitter, they pulled him out after the sixth inning. He has had no arm problems whatsoever. The Astros even went to a six-man rotation to protect him. They've now gone back to a five-man rotation because they now have more off days. They've got you know, two off days this coming week, and uh, so they want to get their pitchers enough work. Well, Verlander pitching on Sunday was rolling along and now have a calf strain. 16-3 and on the year, 1.84 ERA. He has 154 strikeouts. He is the Cy Young Award winner, no matter what happens. 38 years old, he should be and will be the comeback player of the year. And don't give me this, you can't have two awards. Get into that in a minute, too, with the WNBA. But with Justin Verlander, Cy Young Award winner, should be an amazing season at 38 years of age. Um, Justin Verlander said this, and uh, got a quote uh, from Verlander from our good friend Bob Nightingale, one of our regulars on our show. Uh, Look, there was an injury, but when it comes to calf injuries, I kind of dodged a bullet here. This is about as good of news as I could have gotten. So there we go. We want to see Justin Verlander back for the Astros, especially in the postseason. Fantastic pitcher, fantastic guy as well, too. Oh, and by the way, he knows how to eat a steak. He knows how to order a steak, and he knows how to eat a steak. My guy, JV. All right. Some more baseball news. The Washington Nationals finally broke a record. They didn't set a record. They broke a record. Here's what I mean. The Washington Nationals, and a lot of people may not be aware of this because this is such an odd record. 
They had gone 43 games. 43 consecutive games where the starting pitcher of the Nationals did not record a victory. Think about that. 43 straight games, you have a starting pitcher, right? Not in any one of those games that spans over nearly um, over a month and a half, right? Did not record a W. That means if they won a game, someone of the bullpen recorded it. Patrick Corbin broke the streak and he got a victory. Patrick Corbin has 16 losses this year. It's four wins. He's pathetic. He's atrocious. He's terrible. This is like the third year in a row he's had a season like this, and they keep trotting him out there. Well, he got the victory, snapped the streak of 43 games where they did not have a starter record a victory. But I think there should be an asterisk on this. Let's put an asterisk on it. You know why? Because they beat the Cincinnati Reds 3-2. to The Reds aren't a major league team, are they? Who's worse, the Nats or the Reds? Take your pick. Or the A's. Terrible. Or the Tigers. Or the Cubs. Or the Cubs. <laughs> exactly. I hate, I hate saying and, that. And see how low you said that to the Cubs. But you're right. The Cubs. Uh, just bad. Bad. But yeah, congratulations to the Nationals. Yes, you finally got a starting pitcher, a victory. It only took you 43 games to get it. Oh, and by the way, you just won the World Series three years ago. Get rid of Rizzo, your GM. Get rid of Mike Rizzo. Get rid of Davey Boy Martinez. Get rid of that ham and egger. Start from scratch. You you unloaded Bryce Harper. You unloaded Max Scherzer. You unloaded Juan Soto. Just keep it going. All right? Take it back. Didn't want to bring back Daniel Murphy. Jason Wirth. Blew up that franchise. Why are we shocked this is going to happen? Don't renew Dusty Baker. After all, all he did for that organization. Uh, just don't get me going. I am going. Washington Nationals, you deserve it. Plain and simple. But you got a record. Well, you really don't have a record. You just broke a disgusting record of getting a win from a starting pitcher after 43 games. Ugly. How about this one? Numbchuck, I thought of you when I heard this story. A role is Chapman. We all like Chapman, right? Oh, no. Bozio loved Chapman when Chapman was uh, with the Cubs. I liked Chapman when he's back with the Yankees. Now he's back with the Yankees again, and this has been disastrous. A role Chapman lost his closer job going back to last year. He is now basically a middle reliever. They tried him in the setup role, that the hold role. That hasn't worked. Now he's had it. He's shot. And he's collecting one of the biggest paychecks in Major League Baseball for a relief pitcher. Well, Aroldis Chapman is now on the I.L. as well. But a little bit different reason why he's on the I.L. compared to that great pitcher, Justin Verlander. Do you know why Aroldis Chapman is on the I.L., Numchuck? I have no idea. Take a guess. Take a wild guess. Threw his back out. that, that, That would make sense. Yeah. Pitcher, yeah. No. No, uh, 135 miles an hour. Yeah, tried to get all day. tried all day. Yeah, no, 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 uh, no, 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 no. That's it. Stubbed his toe getting uh, out of bed. Well, you're on the right path. It has nothing to do with on the field. A Roldis Chapman, the seven-time All-Star, the once dominant relief pitcher, is on the IL because he has an infection. 
from getting a tattoo. That's right. Getting a tattoo. Maybe you should concentrate more on working on your control and have a little bit more self-control. Go into a tattoo parlor, and there you go. Ah! Infection. Now, Numbchuck, you're the king of the tattoos. You got them all over your body. Fifteen of them, by the way. Fifteen of them, by the way. Now, I can only see about four of them, so that means you got them some places that I don't really want to see. Maybe I do. Why don't you, uh... No, I don't want to see. Okay. How common is this? Per, I mean, it depends. He That means he wasn't taken care Have of. you ever been infected? No. 15 tattoos for you. 15. You're, so, I'm a hot dog, iced tea, and a steak taco connoisseur. I would say you're a tattoo connoisseur. Yes. Correct? Yes. All right. So, what did he do wrong? Didn't didn't aftercare it properly. Ah, that's the deal. Or can you get infections if you go to, like, say, shady places? He wasn't going shady places. I'm just it saying, can it I happen? Mean, it could happen. It could happen. All right. Do you go to shady places? No. <laughs> I do not. With a smile on your face. No, I do not. I don't know what you're talking about, sir. An infection for the tattoo. So, yeah, he's on the I.O. because he had an infection. Hey, I'm just wondering, by any chance, is it is it uh, the same infection that Fernando Tatis Jr. has? Oh, yeah? maybe. You know? Should he try to treat that with uh, some over-the-counter stuff But uh, maybe he shouldn't? Maybe he should do it right. Yeah. Because he's a Yankee. Yeah. Is that what is that we saw Fernando Tatis when he was part of our Terrible Tuesday last week with the... The rash? But he got it with a haircut. Yeah, right. A haircut. Yeah. Aroldis Chapman. Infection from getting a tattoo. Yeah, be a little bit smarter. Take care of yourself. All right. And I will leave you with this. The New York Mets had a contest. All right? Not that kind of contest, Seinfeld, George Costanza. But this does have something to do with Keith Hernandez. A regular in Seinfeld, right? Yes. So, SNY, the Mets Broadcast Television Network. Gary Cohen, who does a fantastic job, and Keith Hernandez. That's your tag team, right? Well, they had a contest called the KidCast Competition, where they're looking for a kid announcer to come join Gary and Keith in the booth. Now, kids actually had to submit a video, and they did. Eddie Krause was the winner. Now, Eddie heard about this and told his mom about the contest. Eddie was watching a Mets game like he faithfully does. Said, Mom, he goes, I got to get a video together. Can you help me make a video? And Mom says, what's this for? I could be in the broadcast booth of the Mets game. Mom says, "Uh, okay, I guess that sounds okay. Well, I'm shopping. Maybe we can get to that tomorrow. He goes, no, Mom. I got to do this right now. I can't wait till tomorrow. So Eddie entered the contest, submitted his video, And his video won for his call of Pete Alonzo's walk-off homer for May the 19th. So it got like a video from TV and then, you know, in called it. And uh, so he waited and waited in early August. He heard back from the Mets and SNY and that he was a finalist. A few days later, after a phone interview with an SNY producer, he and his family had just taken off for a trip to Disney World when his mom got an email that said Eddie had won. Eddie said he was freaking out on the plane. The big moment came during the Mets' 3-1 win over the Colorado Rockies on Thursday when Eddie entered the SNY booth to call the bottom of the second inning. He was wearing an orange and blue tie 
in a blazer that he had chosen. He took a seat between Gary and Keith Hernandez, and it sounded like this. All at all? I do play. What's your position? I catch, pitch, and play the outfield. So. Wow, you're obviously right-handed then. I am right-handed. You're not like Keith who was restricted in what position? Uh, I am not like Keith. What's your favorite position? Probably catching. I mean, really? Yeah, you're involved in every uh, every pitch, you know, Good every call. play. So it's probably the most exciting position for me because the one of the best feelings is when you get to throw somebody out on second or third, mm-hmm. and when you pick somebody off, obviously. Catch him sleeping. Now, now the first pitch to Naquin pulls back the bar. If you had a choice, when you, when you got to a point where you're going to choose your career, do you want to be a ball player or would you want to be an announcer? An announcer. <laughs> really? Really? Yeah. Wow. Oh. I mean, I love baseball. I've played it my entire life. But, um, you know, being in the booth with you guys, this is one of the best things I'll ever get to do. As now Naquin going to want him into center, and that's going to drop. McNeil trying to push it to third. He's going to get there. Now runners on first and third. Tyler Naquin advances Jeff McNeil to third. And there's Eddie Krauss with a little play-by-play. And I thought it was pretty cool with Keith Hernandez and Gary Cohn. And, and I love those guys. They do a fantastic job. Mets broadcast booth is is obviously great with Michael K, Gary Cohn, Keith Hernandez. They do a great job on the Mets as well, too. But, yeah. So here's a little bit more as Eddie Krause got to uh, got to make this call. Jeff, 3 for 13 against the Rockies. Batting 231, but batting an amazing 321 this year. With seven home runs and 49 RBIs. An all-star game selection, Jeff McNeil. Now McNeil going to foul one off to the left side. And one one to count even. Eddie, you know it was interesting today. Before the game, Gary and I were talking about who would we put in the top five MVP for the Mets this year. McNeil would be one of those players, I think. Would definitely be one of those players. We saw an amazing diving play from him the other night. The flying squirrel, as they call him, and he's not afraid to fly. Like a J squirrel. Um, now McNeil lines one to the third baseman, McMahon, but he's going to get it to second. And Pete is going to be banged out at second. Ryan McMahon. There it is. All right, so Eddie Cross. So how would you grade Eddie Cross's play-by-play? That's an easy A. You think easy, easy A. A, really? Easy A. <sighs> I mean, there were there were some pauses, Yeah, but easy, easy A. Yeah. For a kid that's, yeah. 12 years old. 12 years old. The funny thing was, when I was flipping the channels and I saw this happening, I said, here's this kid. I didn't know what it was. He was a puppet. We had this blue and orange tie on. He had this blue blazer or jacket. It was it was comical. And uh, he had all of his notes in there, so they let him call the bottom of the second inning and did a pretty good job. So, um, I don't know. You know, a lot of diehard baseball fans, and this is going to come across a little bit negative, but they don't want to hear kids. They don't want to hear kids introduce you know, at the stadium on the PA, and now Batty, and they mispronounced the name this time. Sometimes it's cute, but now it's kind of got a little rampant. And yeah, I don't know how listeners feel or viewers feel uh, about all that. But you know, it's it, it's it's kind of cute, but maybe a little awkward as well too. But 
I didn't know the, the backstory about how he got this, and then I found out later it was a contest. So kind of a cool thing with the Mets. So I'll give him credit for Very for, cool for, 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 for having the you know having the contest. And I just wonder Great how many, job for the yeah. And they had hundreds and well hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of kids that uh, that applied and sent in videos for that. So congratulations to Eddie Krause. Write that down, Numchuck. Is this kid going to end up going to Syracuse and be the broadcast factory that the Big Orange have? And then he'll be in his late 20-something and then get a job somewhere. Write that name For down. Sure he will. Eddie Krause. I love the fact that he was in the middle of the interview and went back to calling. That was cool. He was just great. Yeah, guys, it's going, going great. Strike. Yeah, right. Boom. <laughs> exactly. Like right into yeah. it. All right. I want to thank Lincoln Kennedy for joining us uh, today. The former Raider does a great job on the broadcast of Raider Nation Radio as the analyst. For Lincoln Kennedy, the trumpet player, who would have known? That interview, along with so many others, up on the website. Go check it out. It's all updated. There you go. Gina Marie doing a fantastic job up on the website. The classic interview page, current interview page. It's all up there. And their interview with Mark Grill and McMillan's up on there. And uh, our Aces recap from Game 1, preview for Game 2 is up there as well. And we'll talk more Aces tomorrow, Game Number 2 at the Michelob Ultra Arena. All right, again, want to thank Lincoln Kennedy, Kevin Kruger, the UNLV head coach, for joining us. You heard from Josh McDaniels today as well, too. Miss any part of the show, go to the website, check it all out at tcmartinshow.com. Have yourself a good one. We're back at it again mañana at 2.00.